0: Children's Church, the rest of us, let's take our Bibles, and we're going to start in Luke chapter 10 this morning, Luke chapter 10, three times in in our Bible, the question is recorded of being asked uh, twice of the Lord Jesus Christ, once of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas in a prison, the, in Luke chapter 10 is our first time, and, uh, we find out that this question was asked of Jesus not in sincerity, but in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10, it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, That is the ultimate question, is it not? Uh, And this man was asking Jesus, not out of sincerity, not because he really wanted an answer, but because he was attempting, as was recorded in our Sunday school this morning, uh, he was attempting to ensnare Jesus or get Jesus to say something so that he could accuse Jesus of teaching falsehood. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees had already made up their mind that Jesus was not who he said he was, that Jesus could not teach the truth, and their only basis for that assumption was the fact that Jesus didn't agree with them. Have you ever met anybody like that? The, the whole world is subject to their understanding. Uh, I met a guy, uh, many people over the years, and they'd say, well, I don't believe in anything I can't see. And my answer always is, that is a lie. And they look at me like, you call me a liar? Yeah, I am. You're just being dishonest. You believe in all kinds of things that you cannot see. And uh, we believe in electricity, do we not? Uh, We believe in the law of gravity, do we not? Uh, We believe that uh, the television station uh, puts those uh, signals together and the radio station and transmits them through the air and we uh, turn on our radio or television or pop our cell phone out of our pocket and we believe we're talking to someone. Can you see their voice? Said, I can see them. I'm Facetiming. Uh, wait a minute, you're not seeing them because they're standing wherever they are making the phone call. You're just seeing a picture of them. Amen. Uh, we believe in all kinds of things that we cannot see, and unless it's a Republican, we believe anything. That a politician says, even though we've never seen one honest politician, not in my lifetime, hardly. uh, And we still believe in those things, do we not? Listen, it gets unbelievable here, but this Pharisee, I mean, sorry, this lawyer is standing up and he's asking Jesus in a public forum, in a place where he is hoping to embarrass him, And he's asking him the greatest question that has ever been asked of man. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we can stop for a moment and and just look at some of the extremes that mankind has gone to. How many of you have ever seen a, a real, I was going to say a real live mummy that's not really true? Uh, They're dead, but I mean, been to a museum and seen a a real uh, physical Egyptian mummy there in the museum. I mean, there's lots of them in the Brooklyn Museum. When I was a kid raised in Maryland, we go to the Smithsonian. I I remember, uh, uh, I think I was in high school many years ago. They brought the King Tut exhibition to the Smithsonian, and we drove down there and stood in line for like, five or six hours and then the teacher came and said listen we got to leave and we never saw a thing it was rather disappointing but uh, why did they do all those crazy things because they were preparing they believed that through that embalming process and and preparing the body in gold sarcophagus and and all of these things, and putting stores of of wheat and and food and riches in the tombs that the pharaohs would be provided for in the afterlife or in eternity the uh the great uh travelers and explorers. Was it, uh, what was it, De Soto, who was looking for the Fountain of Youth in Florida, I believe, and, and Ponce de Leon and all of those guys were traveling the world trying to find eternal life. And we don't have time this morning to talk about all of the religious things that go on in this world, of people trying to seek some type of immortality. Uh, how many people in Hollywood, all all they want is to be known, to have that legacy, to have their footprint or handprint in the sidewalk and people to think about them forever and yet if we were to get a list of the biggest stars in the United States, I mean names that everybody knew in 1940 uh, unless you're a An old movie buff, you wouldn't know, but just a small smattering of the names. And so this man was asking Jesus. Now, it's interesting that he asked the question the way he did. He did not say, what shall a man do to inherit eternal life? He said, what shall I do? Now, he was a lawyer. Now, unlike lawyers today, the lawyers that lived in Jesus' day only had one book they studied. What we call our Old Testament, the Jewish Scriptures. No one knew the Bible, the Old Testament, better than the lawyers did. They were the people who copied it. And one of the reasons we have a preserved word today is because of the work uh, of these lawyers who were carefully and... And, and, and with greatest uh, uh, concern for accuracy, we're, reco- we're reprinting by hand the Word of God. If you ever want to see how difficult that is, just open your Bible sometime. And try to copy out two or three chapters. I'll bet you'll get tired before you finish the first chapter and write it in such a way that it can be easily read. Uh, I will tell you that will explain a lot of the problems that people want to find with the text. But if we compare those copies, we have God's Word. You can trust this book called the Bible. And this lawyer asked Jesus this question. What shall I do? To inherit eternal life. Now before we examine the answer to the question. What was he really saying when he asked that question? You know what he was really saying? Jesus you don't believe that I have eternal life. But I know that I'm chosen of God and I'm righteous and And I want you to prove to me that I don't have a relationship with God. How many of you have met family or friends like that? Uh, he, he didn't, he was not asking this question out of sincerity. He was asking this question because he was, he knew that Jesus was accusing him of not having eternal life. And he was going to embarrass the Lord Jesus. He he was going to catch him in his speech. He was going to make sure that Jesus knew that he was wrong in his assessment of this man. Now, has Jesus ever been wrong? Absolutely not. He is God. And so, look at Jesus' answer here. Let's examine it this morning. Verse 26, He, Jesus, said unto him, What is written in the law, how readest thou? He said, okay, you say you have eternal life, you say that you have eternal life, what What does the law say? And this man gave him the right answer, did he not? Let's read it carefully. And he answering, the lawyer, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said, Jesus said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. Now Jesus said, You answered the question right. You understand the law. Later in the week that Jesus, uh, before Jesus was crucified, they asked him, what are the two greatest commandments? And if you'll read the passage there, you'll find out that it was almost a quotation of what this lawyer said. Why? Not because the lawyer was right, but because the lawyer was getting it from the words of God. He was telling what the Bible said. He knew the answer. And Jesus looked at him and said, Okay, do it, and you're going to have eternal life. Wow. But now the lawyer asks the second question, and here is where he gets himself into trouble. Verse 29, but he, the lawyer, look what it says here, willing to justify himself. Said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Uh Uh-oh. You see, let me ask you a question. Can any one of us truly love God with everything we are? They sang the song, lovest thou me more than these? I tell you, we want to. But how many of you, my hand will go up, I'll be honest in church. How many of you have sinned since last Sunday morning? Uh Uh-oh. You know, the first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. But when we sin, we break that commandment first in addition to any of the others because we put ourselves in a place that belongs only to God, and we obey ourselves or our desires more than we do God. And this is, the man was convicted, he understood. Now, please be careful. Don't allow yourself to fall into the human reasoning of the Calvinist that says, you can't love God. The only way you can love God is for God to put his love in you and and god has to do it all you can't do anything well then why does jesus tell this man to do these things and now shall live you see the calvinist is just as wrong as the arminian man's man's understanding of the word of god is simply that but read first john chapter 5 If you love God, you're going to love others. And Jesus told him one of the most famous stories in the entire Bible. People quote this all the time in many different fashions. The story of the Good Samaritan. And we do not have time to go through that all in, in very detail this morning. But what we have to understand is the only guy that actually loved his neighbor as himself was the poor Samaritan that picked the guy up and took him and cared for him and kept him from dying. Amen? And at the end of the story here, Jesus says this, "...which now of these three thinkest thou..." Verse 36, "...which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor to him that fell among the thieves?" And he said, he that showed mercy on him, then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. You see, the story of the Good Samaritan is not just simple benevolence. That's what most people would have us believe, that uh, that just being nice to people is loving them. No, read the Bible. We've gone over this so many times, but... Uh, sometimes we just, I feel as, as your pastor, we need to get this again. What is love? God is love. If I'm truly going to love someone, what am I going to do? I'm going to share God with them, am I not? How do you have mercy? Mercy is given to the defeated by the victor, that's how you got saved, amen. How do I deal with mercy in the people I uh, in this world in which I live with my fellow man? How many of you that drive have wanted to cut someone off that cut you off? Oh well. Being the victor in the situation is not submitting your authority to the foolish driver who believes that they ought to cut everybody else off in traffic and acting just like them. Hello? It's retaining... The proper rules, even though others don't. How about when somebody gets mad and yells at you? What do you want to do? You want to yell right back, don't you? How do you become the victor in a situation? You do not submit to their standards of behavior. You don't have to. Why? Because you have the God of heaven living inside of you. If you're saved. Amen? And so what Jesus is telling this man here is not simply go out and be nice to people and help people who have down on their luck. What he is saying here is there is work to do in this world of those that claim to believe in Jesus Christ. And that work is not based on benevolence or nice feelings toward people. It's based upon the character of God. You see, we were all the man that had fallen among the thieves when we submitted ourselves to the will of sin. And there was no way to save ourselves. If 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 the good Samaritan had not come along, that man would have died. In fact, the Bible tells us he was already half dead. And by the way, half dead is an awful lot closer to death than three quarters or, or nine tenths. I mean Half dead is very close to being all the way dead now, isn't it? And his only hope was that the good Samaritan came and gave him treatment for his wounds and care that would keep him away from the exposure of the elements and would save his life. You see, true love comes from God. And when I take that love and share it with others, then what have I done? I've loved my neighbor as myself. But you got to get it from God first. See, the reason this lawyer couldn't do that? Because he had never gotten the love from God first. He was still busy trying to convince God that he was righteous enough to go to heaven. He had to turn loose of his religion and his understanding and his high estimation of himself. Uh, Yesterday, as we were passing out tracts, I had at least two people come by. and said, may I give you a gospel tract? Oh, I'm good. And I always want to say something. I just do. How good is good? We're going to get to that in the next passage. Uh, You know, do you really think you're okay? That's what the lawyer was saying here. And then we have an interesting story that sometimes people will say is unconnected, but I I think it's really just put in here on purpose and in, in a proper order. We start in verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him, "...into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about, much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answering answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things." But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. See, Jesus here is giving us a multifaceted or a look at both sides of the issue of false religion. You see, there's so much false religion that is based upon self-righteousness and actual hatred toward other people. And we have religions in this world today that are still fighting wars and trying to kill people to promote their religion. That's Jesus was speaking against that with the story of the Good Samaritan. But lest you think that just benevolence and goodwill toward man is the fulfillment of everything, we have the story of Mary and Martha here. And here was the real issue. Both Mary and Martha wanted to express their love for Jesus, did they not? And I'll I'll tell you what, I am so, I so enjoy people who know how to prepare a meal. Uh, I just really do. Uh, there, There are... Uh, It says, he is richest, whose pleasures are cheapest, and sitting down and just enjoying good food, nothing fancy, just something that tastes good and fills you up. Boy, I'll tell you what, I, I, I just enjoy that. Well, that was Martha. I'll tell you what, I bet she knew how to cook. But you see... Our religion is not what we can do for God. It's what He's already done for us. Do you see the balance between the two stories? See, the story of the Good Samaritan is something you're supposed to do. Our our true religion is not without works and effort, but the works come after salvation, not in order to earn it. Amen? But God is much more concerned with what He can do for us than what we can do for Him. You see, God wants us to understand something. If you're going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, He doesn't need me. He doesn't need my good works. He doesn't need my abilities. In fact, everything that we have that's good about us came from Jesus Christ. Could we say amen to that? And as Luke is assembling these things under the direction of the Holy Spirit here, he is helping us to understand, what must I do? At the end of this story of the Good Samaritan, I wonder what was going on in the heart of the lawyer. Well, I'll tell you what was going on. He was justifying himself so that he could be right, And Jesus could be wrong. Then Luke gives us the story so that we come by all of these centuries later and read this thing. We can understand something here. Yeah? If you're really going to love God and love thy neighbor as thyself, you're going to be doing something. You're going to be taking the gospel to the world in which you live. You're You're going to love people. Read 1 John, if you can't love your brother whom you have seen, you don't love God whom you cannot see. Uh, There's got to be some reality there, but that reality is not based upon what I can do to please Jesus. It's what Mary was doing, was sitting at his feet and receiving his word. When you receive Jesus, that's how you get saved now, isn't it? And so Jesus does answer this question and gives us a good look in here and understanding. Turn with me to Luke chapter 18, if you would. And we'll have this question asked again. And uh, this is the story, Luke 18, we'll start in verse 18. We call this the story of the rich young ruler, as we read in. Matthew and and Mark and the the other stories there, we find out that he was rich, he was young, he was a ruler. Uh, One of the accounts tells us that he came running and falling down in the road before Jesus. Now, could you imagine uh, Senator Chuck Schumer running? and getting on his knees in the sidewalks of New York City and saying, tell me how to be saved. Our first question would be, what have you been smoking, right? Uh, Because that's not in keeping with your life and everything you say about God. But uh here was a man of, of great stature and he comes and, and in verse uh, 18, a certain ruler asked him, saying, good master... What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus always cuts to the heart of the issue. Verse 19 Why callest thou me good? None is good save one. That is God. Jesus came right to the heart of the issue. You don't believe I'm God. Why are you calling me good? There's only one good, that's God, and, and we never find the rich young ruler making that mistake the second time now, do we? He, he never calls Jesus good again. Because he wasn't going to believe that Jesus is God. And until you're willing to do that, you'll never be saved. And so then Jesus answered him much the same fashion. He says, Thou knowest the commandments, verse 20. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And he, the rich young ruler, said, All these have I kept from my youth up. He said, I've never broken one of these commandments. Oh, really? Never told a lie. That's bearing false witness. You always honored your father and your mother. Never disobeyed your parents. You know, I've met people that said, I've never done anything wrong. I've never sinned. And uh, my retort usually is something along this line. Well, you just did again. What? Well, you just told a lie. Uh... The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if you want to call God a liar so that you can pretend to be righteous, there's there's really nothing I can do for you. I can't help you. And so as Jesus was there, he he heard the man's reply. But you know what the man was really saying? I've done everything he said, but I'm still not saved. He understood that he was lost. And Jesus said, okay, get rid of everything. Now, this is where Benny Hinn and John Avanzini and uh, all those uh, Trinity guys get really excited. Hey, give it all to me! That's not what Jesus said. He said, get rid of everything and follow me. Now, in order to follow Jesus, do you have to sell all your earthly goods and become a pauper and live on the street? And, 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 and No, that's not what the Bible says. You see, in the first story, we learned that if you're going to inherit eternal life, you've got to love God and you've got to love people. There's something you got to do. But it's not what you do, it's what Jesus has done that gives you eternal life. Amen? In this story, we're going to learn that if you're going to hold on to anything, if you're going to put your trust in anything, if you're going to let anything in this world get a hold of you, it's not how much riches you have, it's how what hold your riches have on you. How many people would turn their soul over to the devil? Fill in the blank. I'm not going to believe in a God that won't allow me to enjoy my life my way. You hear that on the news every day, not worded quite as frankly as that. Because if they said it that frankly, they might even hear it themselves and say, Whoa, wait a minute, what am I saying? But you hear it said more like this, I don't believe in a God that condemns, fill in the blank, the sin of their choice. Uh, years ago, Chuck Swindoll wrote a book on grace. And somebody thought they were, a family member actually thought they were giving me a nice present and gave me a copy of the book. And I started reading it. And I said, uh, what is this? This is not grace. This book was basically written as an apology because Chuck Swindoll liked to smoke a pipe. And some Christians said, uh, smoking is not a good testimony for Jesus Christ. And so he wrote a whole book on how he had enough grace to smoke a pipe when the rest of us shouldn't. listen, the sin of smoking is this. I cannot tell you about the goodness of Christ with a cigarette hanging out my mouth. Or anything else, by the way. It's attached to so many wicked things. Oh yeah, I know. The great scholar stands there and Smurge and smoke cigars and, listen, man is not my standard of righteousness. Jesus Christ is. And when we as God's people involve ourselves in behavior that brings a shadow upon the testimony of the goodness and greatness of God, We sin great and grievously against the God we claim to love and to serve. That was the rich young ruler's problem. He was not going to give up his life to follow Jesus, he would not surrender his station that he did not earn. He inherited that. He was not going to give up his riches that he did not earn. He didn't work for those things. They were given to him. He, In order to obtain those things at a young age, uh, it, it's not the, the world in which we live today. He had to be given those things. His title, his position, his finance. And then, wait a minute, if I give my life, I'm... I'm going to live an awful long time. Uh, I, I wouldn't mind serving God for the last few years of my life, but but I'm not going to give up everything for my whole life. If you're going to be saved today, my friend, if you're going to inherit eternal life, you got to let go of everything. That's the story of the rich young ruler, isn't it? Let's go to Acts chapter 16. The third time this question is asked, it's worded a little differently here. It's not asked of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's asked of the apostles Paul and Barnabas. It's not a nice place. It's not in the temple or the synagogue. It's in a prison. We Most of us know the story here. Paul and Barnabas were beaten. Silas, I'm sorry. I've been saying Barnabas is Paul and Silas. Uh, They were beaten. They were thrown in prison. And let's just pick up our reading in verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled." But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, amazing story, and uh, I wish we had time to build up all the details in the, Tried to grab a hold of the emotion that was here, but this beating that Paul and Silas received was was not corporal punishment. Uh, there were open wounds, and there there was blood on the floor, and, and this was a Roman prison in the city of Philippi in in uh, the modern day Macedonia, and uh, it was, it was a terrible place. And we could talk about the vermin and the disease and the insects and the human filth and all of the stuff that made this prison up. And Paul and Silas sang praises to God. And the prisoners heard them. It wasn't a huge prison complex like we have out on Rikers Island. In fact... If if we read our story carefully and understand here when the jailer drew his sword to kill himself Paul heard the sound he knew what was going on and he immediately called out and said do thyself no harm for we are all here let's go back to our first story Did Paul show the Philippian jailer mercy like the good Samaritan showed the man who had fallen among the thieves? Are we all together? I think that's a pretty good example of showing mercy. I mean, Paul was the one that should have been complaining. He was bleeding. He was in terrible pain. Uh, we know now today the disease would have been setting in and Paul's life would have been in jeopardy with those wounds not being cleansed and all of those things. And what, what was Paul's first concern? It was for the jailer, the guy who was responsible for some of Paul's sufferings. But what was Paul's answer to his question? Go to church on Sunday. Say so many prayers. Put so much money in the offering plate. No. How many of you know the next verse by heart? Believe. Say it with me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. The message isn't only for you, Mr. Jailer. It's for your wife. It's for anybody who can believe. You see, Jesus is what Jesus has already done for you. Now, how much did this jailer have to potentially lose by believing on the God of these men who were in his prison? Good night. His future was on the line. The Romans had no problem Torturing your wife and children to get compliance from those that had sworn service to uh, to Rome. And, and And this jailer was putting everything he knew on the line. He had no idea that before the sun set on the next day, he might be in there with Paul and Silas. In worse shape than they were. Does it sound like he... Gave up everything to believe on Jesus Christ like the rich young ruler didn't. Do you see these pictures here? Why they're there? They're illustrating the truths. So that you and I can know what to do. So that we can be saved. Just like the Philippian jailer was saved. Amen? You see, he gave up everything. And look what it says in verse 33. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized. He and all his straight way. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. I got to say this. People try to get infant baptism out of this passage. See, he had to have babies in his house, so they baptized the babies. Okay, well, you show me a baby that can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll believe you. But you got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ first. Don't go looking for excuses in the Bible for your traditions. Please, look for Jesus. Because you've got to give up your traditions to believe on Jesus Christ. That's how you get saved. Baptism is for those that have been saved to give a public testimony of the work that the Holy Spirit has already done in their life through the finished work of Christ. And we say amen to that. See, salvation is really a simple thing. But why won't people be saved? Well, let's go back through our stories. They're holding on to something, like the rich young ruler. They won't give it up. They won't let go. Do you realize there's nothing you can hold on to? one second after you're dead oh maybe they'll have to pry your cold dead fingers from around whatever you're holding on to but you don't have a hold on to it rigor mortis does you cannot take anything with you when you stand before God except it is finished. Because you didn't do that. Jesus did. How many remember the day? Don't raise your hands here, but how many remember the day when you finally trusted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? Tell you what, if you can't remember a day, I would challenge you. Let's Let's make today that day. Let go. And trust God. Maybe you're here today and you think you're saved. I like the question one preacher asked a long time ago. It's been repeated often. If you were to die today, would you know heaven's your home? It's a very sobering question. The lawyer was answering, Yes until Jesus told him the good Samaritan story. Then he realized that whatever Jesus was talking about, he didn't have. But he wasn't going to love those dirty so-and-sos out there. He wasn't going to turn down his own righteousness to accept God's. Martha thought she was doing Jesus a favor, that she was actually ministering to him and worshiping him. That doesn't happen before you're saved. That happens after you're saved. You've got to sit at Jesus' feet and receive his word. Three times in the Bible I found this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life twice? Both failed to get it. The men who asked the question. The Philippian jailer said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he got saved. Because he wasn't holding on to anything. He had nothing to offer God. And getting saved, getting born again, that happens at a point in time. Just like a little baby is born. You must be born into God's family. There must be a time when you turn loose of yourself and everything you know and simply trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. When you give your soul to Christ, let me tell you, He'll do a whole lot better job taking care of it than you ever could. He'll give you more than you could ever buy, even if you're the richest man in the world. But not all those treasures are here on earth. Some of them you get to enjoy for all eternity with the Savior. Tell you what, I wouldn't trade living for Jesus for anything this world has to offer. And I'm not going to go chasing eternal life anywhere else, not in a vitamin shop, not in a gym, not in some old manuscript. I found it in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you, and Lord, we ask that you would work in our hearts and souls. Lord, I pray for those that are saved today, that we would remember what happened the day we got saved. And Lord, understand better in our hearts what we let go of so that We can restrain those same sinful tendencies in our heart today to grab a hold of the things of this world. Lord, we pray for those here today that are unsaved, that you would work in their hearts and that they would just stop trying and simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we want you to work in our midst We ask that you would help us to love you and to love others to a saving knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.